Labora Story. Hi, welcome back. This is my second time doing this. This is fantastic. Uh, I was a little bit worried at first because um, uh, we got an email a little while ago saying, hey, can you send through your intro and send through who your hero is, obviously for uh, who your hero of the night that you're going to be talking about is. And I fundamentally misunderstood the question and I panicked and I went onto Wikipedia and hit random article until a person came up and I sent through Wang Bing who uh, was a 2004 Summer Olympics canoeist from China who placed ninth. <laughs> so I'm glad you didn't read it out, and I don't know why I told you. Hi, my name is uh, Mitch Alexander. I am, a, among many things, a philosopher, and I like to think of myself as Laboratory's annual concession to ethical thinking. And tonight I was going to... The sciences need help. Tonight I was going to um, give a talk about Jordan Peterson, but I couldn't stretch 10 minutes uh, of uh, uh, truth is just evolutionarily contingent on utility uh, for a room of science fans. So I decided against doing that. And so instead, whistles for scorn or whistles for Jordan Peterson? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure anymore. And that's terrifying. Um, instead, tonight, who I'm going to talk about is a uh, philosopher, because I have to sneak them in. That's my whole thing. Um, but it's a philosopher who I, I don't say this lightly, I think changed medicine fundamentally for the better. And I think, honestly, if uh, he didn't have the thoughts that he had, uh, half of us may not be here tonight. I'm going to give a, a quick talk about the work or the specific work of René Descartes, uh, or as my first years call him, uh, René Descartes. Or as one honours student decided to call him for his entire honours thesis defence, presumably because he thought it was his actual name, Monsieur Descartes. <laughs> the entire thing. <laughs> now, uh, Monsieur Descartes is uh, most famous for um, a fantastic technique of uh, allowing smug assholes to drop Latin into conversations. Cogito uh, ergo sum. Cogito ergo sum, if you're a first-year student. Uh, I think, therefore, I am. A wonderfully preposterous idea, proven wrong in many different ways. Um, the main way being if you take as evidence the fact that there are a lot of non-thinking things that definitely am, as you can tell by any Queensland election result. <laughs> you smug sons of bitches, shut up. <laughs> Fuck Queensland. <laughs> Maybe so, but they've got the utes and the chainsaws and they're going to eat you first. Anyway, <clears throat> before we can talk about Monsieur Descartes and what he did for modern medicine, we actually have to go back to ancient Greece, which, as a philosopher, I'm aware, makes me a fucking cliche, but it also makes me the number one guy at a party to avoid. So, back in ancient Greece, there was a man named Hippocrates, or Hippocrates, or a lot of other things. I hate my job. And he was one of a few different people at the time who had a theory of medicine that revolved around the humours. Yeah? Now, the humours um, were essentially four sort of fluids that, fl that flowed around the body, and they explained both the uh, physical temperament and ailments of a person, but also their emotional and their intellectual dispositions, so to speak. And, and, and so the, these four different uh, humours were described or delineated as blood, black bile, yellow bile, and phlegm. Phlegm. <laughs> phlegm. <laughs> Just a whole bunch of phlegm sloshing around the body, like 
25% of you phlegm, like you're a big wet skateboard in need of balancing. And so here's the thing about the humours. The humours are all associated with different dispositions of, of, of a human body. And so, for instance, phlegm, phlegm, was, phlegm was associated with apathy and lethargy, among other things, which, interestingly enough, means that we can deduce that the, uh, the ancient philosophers of ancient Greece suffered from man flu which is fantastic. And you can tell Socrates uh, had man flu because when he had man flu, he would always answer a question with an answer. It's a really good joke. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck. Um, and so, and so the, the humours would slosh around the body, they would become imbalanced, and they would explain everything, essentially. They, if you were suddenly apathetic, or you suddenly broke an ankle and it wasn't healing properly, that was probably explained by the humours. It, it was all in concert with each other. And if you think that this is a silly idea that we may have eventually gotten rid of, regardless of, of who was thinking about what, of course we would think about something else eventually, let me just remind you that until recently, we thought ulcers were caused by stress, and it took an Australian scientist to lick a fucking Petri dish clean like an Uber Eats container to prove scientifically that that wasn't the case. Barry Marshall, quintessentially a scientist and an Australian. <laughs> uh, we can't actually approve the funding on human, on, on, for human experimentation. I'll fucking give it here. Ah. <laughs> ah, done. So that's why I like Descartes. That's why I like this thought that, 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 that he's, he's gone into is because overall we can't take these thoughts for given. Science, we would eventually find the answers to. We could get rid of Newton's work, Einstein's work, whoever else, Galileo, someone, I don't care, I'm a philosopher. We could get rid of their work and eventually find it again. When it comes to the arts, if we lose Shakespeare, we lose those plays forever. We will never find them again until monkey clones become cost-effective to buy in bulk. Again, a really good joke. I overestimated you. And <laughs> that's my audience, alienate people. Um, but that's where I see philosophy sitting, and that's what Descartes really epitomizes for me, is that intersection of the two, of empirical evidence and facts and art, never to be found again. It's an amazing idea. And what Descartes did was eventually stop people from working with the humours as if they were a, a viable way of treating people. What you would do to treat any ailment when it came to the humours was to try to balance them. And that was it. And how you would balance them was with the very scientific method of herbs, I guess, or fruit, I don't know, oil, something, uh, cloth, wet cloth, whatever. <laughs> Here's the thing about the humours. You would balance the humours by pairing them with their literal and figurative opposites. So say your black bile was supposed to be out of whack. And let's keep in mind while I'm talking about this, the humours don't fucking exist. But to treat the humours that don't exist, what you would do is you would try to find either the literal or figurative opposite of whatever the symptom was. So your black bile was out of whack, you'd be running a fever. Someone running a fever is very hot. So you would give them literally cool things, like a wet cloth or a cool iron bar, 
to try and balance the humours, but you'd also give them things culturally associated with the cold. At the time, it was things like fruit, oil of roses, my father's affection. All medicine was was just balancing herbs and oils like you're a Pokemon trainer or a naturopath. It's not often I agree with the Liberal Party for defunding academic pursuits, but... Um... So here's a quote I got from internet. Quote, In therapeutics, Hippocrates saw the physician as the servant and facilitator of nature. All medical treatment was aimed at enabling the natural resistance of the organism to prevail and overcome the disease to bring about recovery. So, pretty cool if you had a common cold. If you had an autoimmune disease, you're shit out of luck. Last year, I had DVT, which would have inevitably led to a pulmonary embolism, and I'd be dead if we were trying to balance humours. So, obviously, the humours aren't the best way of doing medicine, but luckily for us, they were only the dominant model of healthcare for hundreds of years. But, enter Monsieur Descartes. Now, Monsieur Descartes pioneered what was known as the anti-Aristotelian method, because also Aristotle was into it, and apparently we have to include Aristotle otherwise. <laughs> But what Descartes did, you've probably heard of what Descartes did. He, he pioneered this idea of dualism. That idea that there is a soul and there is a body. And they're connected in certain ways, but they are separate things. Now, these days we have a more physicalist or a more materialist idea of, of, of us as people. So there's no soul and there is a body and that body is compelled to shop at H&M. <laughs> but before that... There was the, the dualism method of the two being separated. But before that, all of it was just one and the same. And Descartes' ideas were revolutionary because he smashed that apart. He didn't just look at certain practices that were happening within medicine. He looked at medicine on the whole and said, what if we think about the body mechanically? What if we think about disease and illness and ailments in terms of the laws of physics and maths? Surely we can explain things in that way. And it fundamentally changed how people think about medicine. And I, I, I can't overstate the fact that I do think that there is a very real chance that if it wasn't for Descartes, we would still have the humours as potentially a viable frame for how we think about medicine. I remind you that it took someone doing tequila shots of bin juice to prove that ulcers weren't caused by stress. I, I can envision a world, I don't think it's too fantastical to envision a world where we think of scientists with their microscopes getting more and more powerful and zooming in on parts of the human body. There are way more than four humours, fuck! There are like a hundred humours, guys! Balancing this is gonna fucking suck! I can picture that. As, as, as a probable way of doing medicine. Now, Descartes, like I said, fundamental in changing this idea of what medicine can and should be, which is good that he did that, because in his writings, in his specific writings about medicine, he was wrong about, technically speaking, fucking everything. <laughs> he was barely ever right about anything. I offer you uh, this quote, writing to the Earl of Newcastle, I share the opinion of Tiberius, who was inclined to think that everyone over 30 had enough experience of what was harmful or beneficial to be his own doctor. <laughs> Indeed, it seems to me that anybody who has any intelligence and who is willing to pay a little attention to his health can better observe what is beneficial to it than the most learned doctor. Imagine if that was also the frame of medicine that we had these days. 
We need to separate the mind from the body. Also, I'm pretty sure whiskey cures gout. I feel real good when I drink whiskey and gout feels bad. <laughs> Just makes pretty much every little thing he wrote about medicine for however long and even up to his deathbed, he was wrong. And when I read this quote on internet, it was an amazing little loop to close up the story of Descartes and medicine. Uh, quote, Descartes acted as his own physician even on his deathbed. He declined the ministrations of the Swedish court physician, preferring his own preparation of tobacco-flavoured wine <laughs> to bring up the phlegm. The phlegm that he so arduously said, please ignore the phlegm. He drank tobacco-flavoured wine, thanks Dr. Descartes, <laughs> to try to bring up the phlegm. Only towards the very end of his sojourn to his deathbed um, did he actually allow the Swedish physicians to uh, bleed him. And a lot of people actually think that it was the bleeding that resulted in his death. Um, not actually a joke, but I mean, <laughs> you've got to find your own enjoyment in these dark times wherever you can. I get it. The thing is, though, this is what we do know, is that at the time of his death, this is what is uh, comically tragic or tragically comic about the death of Descartes, the thing that is funny about what killed the man who told us to stop thinking about humours and balancing humours with their cultural opposite, is that at the time of his death and what probably killed him was pneumonia. Now, if it was bacterial pneumonia, it would have killed him anyway. Antibacterial medicine was still a ways away. No one was doing shots off of Petri dishes yet to prove the bacteria existed properly. And regardless, Descartes was well past 30, so he knew better. However, if the pneumonia was a viral infection, that can go away on its own. If the temperature of a patient, like Socrates suggested, is regulated with the application of cold things to the patient, and if a physician, like Hippocrates suggested, is allowed to simply help nature take its course. So, Monsieur Descartes, René Descartes, I once heard René Descartes. <laughs> they were in law, it was fine. Ended up probably dying because of his rejection of the model of me uh, the, the, the method of medicine, which he railed against for most of his life. So I think if we can take anything away from the story of Descartes, it's that the best medical advice is to probably not be an arrogant wanker. <laughs> to try to be as humble as Wang Bing, who came ninth <laughs> at the 2004 Olympics in the 500-meter C1 canoe dash. My name is Mitch Alexander. I run Stand Up Philosophy. If you're interested in that, thank you very much for having me, Laboratory. You're always beautiful. This is great. Thank you.